You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the coaching profession. Tune in for more episodes for anything coaching related in game, outside of the game, and anything in between. On today's episode, brought to you by V-Reps Virtual Playbook, we are joined by Ido Singer, assistant women's basketball coach at UNC Greensboro. Coach, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm fired up to be on right now. So we'd like to start with like, uh, we, we call that like pregame warmups here. All right? we're, we're just getting ready, getting, getting in the groove, getting up a ladder here. So uh, you know, we saw you play professionally in Israel. Um, you know, we just wanted to kind of, have a, a maybe you had a fun or, or interesting story about how it was you know playing basketball in Israel and your time there and and you know uh, we, we always like to find different angles from different places so we thought that'd be a fun way to start. Yeah, I mean I, I grew up there, so uh, the system over there is a little bit different than it is in the states where you you grow up uh, through the youth teams and you keep moving on with your age group. And it kind of weeds out the players who aren't going to play professionally as a natural progression of growing up. But for me, I was I was fortunate enough to hit that growth spurt and to hit that, you know, athletic spurt right on time. Not that I was ever very athletic, but my timing was good and I was able to move up uh, in the profession. And when I was 17, I was able to start playing professionally over there um, a year into it, um, not even a year into it. But in my first year, we were playing this preseason um, practice game or scrimmage against this Italian club called uh, Raggio Calabria. And uh, on that team was a very promising young young player. Um, I think he was 17 at the time or something like that. And his name was Manu Ginobili. And so for me, it was, I didn't know who he was other than the scouting report. What I was told is that he was the best talent in, in Europe for that age. And I knew I wasn't really gonna play I was just basically a bench former. I was this young kid on at the edge of the bench and maybe I get in for 10 seconds at the end of games. And that was great for me because I just wanted to practice with these guys. But in that scrimmage, uh, coach calls my name with two minutes to go. So I get in the game, Manu's still in the game. And so I was, uh, I'm six, four on a good day, but I played kind of like the three, four, mostly the four. So I wasn't matched up with him, but I get him on a switch. And I see before that, I see that, you know, the other guard is about to get in. So I know they want to get him out of the game, but we're in a position. I get him on a switch. And the second he noticed me, he kind of took a dribble back. He cleared everyone. And I go, oh, boy, here we go. So I kind of try and get in the best stance that I can find. And, you know, he does one of these things. He's a lefty. So he was dribbling with his right hand. And then he took the ball from his own right hand, kind of like a sham guard. And the second he did that thing and he leaned one way, I fell the other way. And then he pulled up right next to me, obviously hit it, helped me up and said, nice basket, right? And then he walked, ran right off. So, so that to me was one of these, one of these things that I'll never forget is, is being able to, to be schooled by a young Manu on my first, one of my first uh, professional games. And, and, you know, the, the stories just keep going from there. I was, fortunate enough the following year to go and be a, a very deep bench player. I'm sure you see a theme here. 
a very deep bench player for another professional team in Israel. And on that team were Dennis Hobson, who was Michael Jordan's backup, and uh, Brad Sellers, who was uh, also, you know, on the same team. And young Michael Jordan played with Brad Sellers. So it was really, really cool to, to hang out in the locker room with two guys who played with MJ and to hear these stories and to try and understand why Dennis Hobson has his championship ring in a vault and he doesn't want to look at it because he's so competitive and didn't like the fact that he was backing up Jordan. So all these little things for, for a young guy like me, those are the things that I kind of take away uh, from that experience. I wasn't the best player. I was, I was decent enough to make a living for a few years, but um, these stories are, are, are so um, such a big part of, of my career and, and growing up as a player. We could just do uh, stories from Israel uh, professional basketball there. We got a little oh, Manu, yeah. we got a little Dennis Hobson, all in one story. I'm great. dating myself, yeah. <laughs> so Definitely. you were previously a head coach at an NAI school. And, you know, we haven't done a lot of um, interviews with NAI coaches. So I thought this would be a different kind of element that we haven't really spoken to our listeners about. Can you kind of talk to our listeners about kind of the similarities and differences between NAIA schools mm -hmm. and NCAA schools? Because there are a lot of similarities, but there, there also are some differences. And then maybe any advantages that you had kind of coaching in the NAIA versus the NCAA? Yeah, for sure. So uh, it was so new to me. I was coaching at an NAIA school and it was the only NAIA school in New England. And so we had no conf we had a conference, but we had no conference rivals anywhere near us. So we had to play everything out of conference. We played one conference game and then we would kind of move on to the playoffs if our record allowed for it. But it was a completely different experience for me. It, it is super, uh, super competitive. I mean, if you play NAIA, you can play, right? If you play D3, you can play. If you play D2, you can play. So it's super competitive. But as a coach, it was very different than what I was used to in the sense that recruiting was wide open. I was literally able to go watch a game anytime I wanted to. At halftime, I could walk down the floor, talk to the player, and I'd be fine. So NAIA allows you to recruit 24 24 7, 365, no matter what the situation is, which kind of gives you a bit of an advantage from a disadvantage standpoint, because not a lot of players know what NAIA is. So we always had to educate and say, it's the same, it's just a different governing body. You have opportunities to play, you have scholarships. This is what we have to offer. So you constantly have to learn how to sell and how to uh, spin a little bit. Um, and that's what we are. We're salespeople, right? We're trying to make sure that people understand that we have a great opportunity here and kind of tying everything together with a bow. It's an opportunity to play. If you can play and there's an opportunity like that for you, I thought at the time that we were providing something that was really unique, a unique experience, a good place to play. And uh, you get a scholarship. There's nothing wrong with that. So it's just a little bit different, um, but it's, it's still basketball. Yeah, that's that's what I did. I did some JUCO coaching too, so it's the same way. It's just show up and be like, "Hey, you know." And the other coaches, the D three coaches, are sitting there looking at you like, "Oh man, this guy." But you know. <laughs> um, so um, you have your bachelor's degree in psychology. Uh, we we've had a few mental health authors on. We had Julie Fournay on, um, but we, we wanted to just talk to you about uh, this. Is such an important topic that 
I feel like up until just recently, it hasn't really been an aspect of coaching, right? Um, it always probably should have been, but for a lot of coaches, it, it wasn't because they're, you know, you coach how you were coached. Um, so what can, what things can coaches do you know, in the mental game and, and psychologically to give their team an advantage over, over other teams, whether it be preparing for games, whether it be, um, you know, with their, their confidence, whatever, whatever it may be. So I saw this really cool thing uh, on Twitter because because uh, I, I troll that place a lot. So I saw this really cool thing and it said E plus R equals O. And when I dug a little bit into that, it basically means event plus response equals outcome. So your response to a certain event equals the outcome of what's going to happen. So if you have an emotional response to an event, your outcome might be that of an emotional standpoint. Whereas sometimes you have to be more practical. Sometimes you have to be more pragmatic. Sometimes you do need to be more emotional, but it's not always the same. So what I struggle with as a coach is I'm an emotional coach. I am all about the passion. I love to give immediate feedback. And what I've learned is that it doesn't work for everybody. And you have to really know who you're talking to in terms of your players. Um, do they need positive in, uh, do they need positive reinforcement? Do they need, uh, you know, do they need you to be that giddy up person? Do they need you to get in their face every now and then and wake them up? But it's not the same for everyone. So you have to always remember, what am I responding to? Do I always need to be at a hundred? Do I need to tone it down to 50? And how are they going to, uh, what's going to be the outcome of my interaction with them? And I think when you're coming from a place of empathy, um, it's, it's very, very helpful um, when you have interactions with people. Because at the end of the day, everyone has a bad day. Nobody wants to miss a shot. Nobody wants to, you know, blow a defensive cover. So if, if I'm always coming at them at 100, I'm emotional about it. I'm making them feel like I think they were doing it on purpose. It's just detrimental to everything. So that's something I had to learn to uh, grow out of a little bit. And I'm still learning that. But I think at the end of the day, um, you have to remember that they're people. So today we have we had a shooting drill. I have a little um, stretch four group that I was working with. And they're all good shooters. And we had this shooting drill that they've done many times. And we know what numbers they usually get. And they weren't anywhere near those numbers to the point where I thought that basket was jinxed or something today. So everyone was missing shots. They were nowhere near their targets. And we kind of, when we broke it down at the end, I said, well, that was, uh, that was kind of rough, right? And we're all like, look around, we say, yeah. And, and I said, so that's going to happen in the game. Um, you're going to have those days where you can't, you can't shoot anything. You can't make anything happen. And you have to find other ways to, um, to help your team. But the first thing is up here, you can't, in your mind, you can't beat yourself up when you make mistakes like that. It's what you say to yourself up here that really makes what you do next either count or count against you. So we were just talking about positive self-talk and making sure that when you make those mistakes, you don't beat yourself up because that's just like doubling down on something you don't always have control over. So I think it's something I have to remind myself all the time and I have to remind my players all the time. Just stay positive. Don't have an emotional response to everything and just try and move on to the next rep and just try and do better. We're all trying to do well. So, so that's it. 
I really like what you said. Uh, at the end of the day, remember they are people. And I, uh, it's, it's so simple, but sometimes the simplest things are the best things. Just remember that they're people. Um, so I, I thought that was really well said. You, you had kind of in that answer, you kind of hit on what I wanted to talk about next, which is you, you have a very strong presence on Twitter. Um, you know, Todd and I joked with you, you're always liking our stuff, which we appreciate. But I, I wanted to get into social media as a platform for coaches. So just kind of a, a two-parter here. First, you know, why is social media so important for coaches today? And then have you found anything on social media that can aid coaches that uh, others may not use it for? So maybe a, a secret that you want to give our listeners on how you use social media, maybe in a different way. Sure. So I'm, I'm getting more and more into the sharing side. I'll do, I'll retweet a lot of things that I like, and I'm going to do a little bit more in terms of breaking down and sharing, because I do admire uh, people like yourselves and other people who spend the time to help grow the game. And like you said, there's so much, there's so much gold in the ground right there in social media. And I didn't know this up until maybe about six months ago when I doubled down on it. So I always thought that a lot of this knowledge that we can acquire as coaches comes from those DVDs where you watch someone run a clinic and all that. And those are great. But if you really look at it, and I'll be more than happy to share with anyone that listens to this, I'll share with you my list of YouTube channels, my list of Twitter handles, and my list of Instagram, because those are the ones that I'm really active on. But I will be to the point where I'm subscribed to over 100 YouTube channels that will break down the game from all kinds of different angles. And I'll have a notification when they send anything out. So whenever they post a video, I'll get a notification. And my system goes, I look at it real quick. I don't always watch the whole thing, but I'll put it in a, um, in a playlist on YouTube. And I'll have playlists for different things. And I'll have, uh, you know, this week's. Uh, watch this week. So if there's something I need to watch this week, I'll also put it on that playlist and I'll go through those things and everything is kind of categorized. But I'll do that for YouTube. I do a similar thing for Twitter where I have all these accounts and I'll just go through my X's and O's playlist and I'll highlight and I'll like things that I like and I'll send them to my notes app. And I do the same thing with Instagram where it's something that I like, you can put it over there in your saved folders. So I have all these different places on social media where I can grab ideas, get information and grow. And I think there is absolutely no excuse. None of that costs any money. So I understand if you don't want to pay championship productions, $40 per DVD. Great. If you can awesome support these coaches and these places, that's great, but that's not an excuse not to learn. You can always find ways to grow. And I think social media gives you a free way to just really learn from coaches and people from all over the world. So happy to share that with anybody that cares, but I can take two weeks and go through everything that I have right now. And that wouldn't be enough time. So it just keeps growing and I'm not going to get to all of it, but if I ever want to find creative ways to attack off of a side pick and roll when there's a hedge, I can look for that in my folders and I'll probably find about 15 videos talking about that from all over the world. So if you want to grow, there are ways to do it coaches. And, and, um, and I'm so glad you asked that question because that's one of the things that I like to share all the time is go out there and, and find those great creators, the people who share the game 
and learn from them. And I, and I do that every day. All right, so let's let's talk pods a little bit. Uh, I know you you were you were doing a pod uh, up through last year, and I think you took a little bit of break, right? Uh, you with your one last thought, but uh, I always thought it was it was a great concept by you because of you know it was kind of quick to the point, uh, and it was different off of off of basketball. But I wanted to talk to you about about that, and when you you know you started putting it together and creating it, um, you know. What was your goal? What was your goal doing, you know, doing that podcast? And then how do you feel um, podcasts have helped the coaching profession? Maybe not even the coaching profession, but just professions in, in general for the better. I'm addicted to podcasts. <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to them anywhere and everywhere I can. I'll listen to them on the road. I'll be in a gym uh, during evaluation periods and I'll have my, my headphones in my in my ears just like that. And I'll listen to podcasts and I'll bookmark things that I like on the app real quick in between watching games. So I'm addicted to that. And if I can learn something and it doesn't have to be basketball, I love true crime podcasts. So I listen to that stuff too. And those are some guilty pleasures. But for my for my podcast, the idea behind it was just to to share a powerful idea. And I didn't want to direct the conversation this way or the other way. I think everyone, each and every one of us has some kind of life lesson that they can impart on other people. We all have rich experiences. They're all coming from different places. Uh, no two people are the same. And the older I get, the better I understand this. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has something to give. And you just have to ask that question. And the question I always ask on the podcast is, if you had one life lesson you wanted to share with with the next generation, what would that be? And what I do is I'll take um, two people who roughly talk about the same thing. I'll cut up their quick answers and they usually record anywhere between one to three minutes of their thoughts, organic thoughts. I'll cut it up and I'll mash it up together. So I'm putting them in a conversation that they never had talking about the same thing. We just go back and forth between the people um, sharing and and it just became this maybe 10 to 12 minute podcast that I, I put, uh, put together and I put it out there for about a year. Um, life, kids and work kind of caught up with me. So I wasn't able to keep up with it, trying to figure out a way to do it. Um, I still have a bunch of stuff that I can go through and put out there probably another 50 episodes if I, if I had the time to cut them up, but taking a bit of a break. But, but like I said, everyone has a story to tell. I felt like that was a cool way to put it out there. And so I just wanted to be a conduit to that kind of information, that kind of sharing. Really, you had just said, said something that was interesting. It actually made me reflect really quickly when you said, if you had one life lesson to share with the next generation, what would it be? And then, then I already started to think, what would mine be? So I'm, I'm kind of curious before we move on, if you did have one thing you wanted to share with the next generation, what would that be? Mm. See, I've been asked that a few times and every, uh, every time I've been asked, I kind of, I'm in a different place in my life and my life lesson changes. I think if, I mean, not if you just asked it. So on the spot, I would probably say, find your why, which isn't very um, original, but find your why and to kind of tie into that, don't look for anybody else's why. And the reason is I, for the longest time, didn't know why I wanted to coach. 
I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to be a college coach, but I didn't know why. And I kept trying to assign other people's whys because they sounded really cool. I mean, like, man, I wish I had that why. That's a great why for coaching. Or this sounds really cool. But that's dis disingenuous and it's not me. And it took me a long time. It took me maybe 35 years to figure it out. <laughs> and I realized that at the end of the day, I wanted to create. My why is to create. So if I can create better people through basketball, if I can create better players through skill development, if I can create a podcast that makes people reflect and think and share, if I can create better processes for us to win, to get better, if I can create a better life for my family, I'm all about creating. I'm always looking for ways to make things better, to make things nicer. So I'm all about creating. So my why is to create and I encourage everyone to figure it out and really be honest and genuine and not settle for anyone else's why. Just figure it out. And when, when you do that, when you do that, when you figure it out, everything makes sense. Everything comes from a place where you want to do it. You know, just like, um, I forget who it was, but this, this video there, you know, that was on Twitter. We have one of those uh, get to do jobs, not got to do jobs. So when you know your why, you get to do your job. You don't have to do it. And so I should be a really good host to put Todd on the spot and ask him his, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, so let's kind of go into um, what did, what is something that, you know, you learn that we can do better as coaches in the last year and a half. So maybe through COVID, something that, you know, maybe we all learn that we can do better, something personally you learn that you can do better. Um, and then kind of a second part is, what are some other professions that you've kind of learned from to make you a better coach? You know, I think that's an interesting topic. So oftentimes we may learn something completely uh, new in coaching, but it has nothing to do with, with, coaching the profession it could have to do with the being in a business or being a teacher in the classroom so kind of a two-parter first what's something you've learned in the last year and a half with COVID and then maybe something you've learned from another profession that you've applied to coaching so I love that question because it does make you think about how fragile everything is right so what I've learned is nothing is guaranteed one one day you wake up and this is your roster you go to sleep Someone's a close contact. And now this is your roster. So we make all these plans and we try and figure things out because that's our job. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to troubleshoot for any kind of scenario. And then COVID comes and tells you now this is what you got to work with. So we always have to pivot and adapt. And I think that is something you take with you. And I think most people in the professional setting or in any sitting over the last, ever since this pandemic started, we have to pivot and adapt. We no longer can just sit there and say, oh man, this is, it, it, it's so bad because of COVID. It, it's just the world we live in. So you either pivot and adapt or you die off. It's just evolution. We have to figure out a way. So I think it pushed us as coaches and me uh, personally to figure out a way, figure out a way to get us to finish the mission to complete the mission we set out to do so that's that's the that's one thing that i've learned another thing that i learned is is the importance of checking on your people 
And a really good quote that I heard was, just because they carry it well, doesn't mean it's not heavy. So some people put up a front, me included, I've, you know, I've dealt with depression issues and, um, and things like that. And we talk a lot about mental health. We talk a lot about being there for one another and asking questions and checking on how people are and not just allowing them to walk through life and pretend like everything's okay just because they carry it well. So, you know, it, it's really hard. People go through things on a day-to-day basis and then this pandemic hits and everything is 10 times extra, 100 times extra. So it's really important to check on people around you and really ask questions, not just be okay with, oh, how are you today? Oh, I'm good, all right. No, so how are you feeling today? What's, what's going on with your life? How's your family? Who did you, you know, things like that. You really gotta keep asking questions and, and being interested in people. And so I think those are the two, two most important things that I've learned in the last year and a half. I can't believe it's been a year and a half. <laughs> you know, you said something that I wanted to follow up on and, and I appreciate that, you know, you kind of talked about your own mental health issues and, you know, I myself work in the mental health field. And yesterday I was at an open gym with, with my kids and I literally just said to one of my players, like, how are you? Like, how are you doing? And, and I was surprised in the answer and they were just like, you know what, coach, I'm really stressed out. And, you know, it just, we were just having to be standing on the court. And all I said was, how you doing? Um, so I, I do think that's really important. And, and Todd and I really do have a big emphasis on, on our show about mental health. So just as a follow-up, you know, what, what are some things you do to kind of support your, your players' mental health? Maybe not just you, you know, maybe your coaching staff, your program, you know, what are some things you do to just kind of help your kids out mentally? It's tough. I mean, a lot of that comes from relationship building uh, before that. I, I've come to accept the fact that they're not all going to want to talk to me all the time. I'm not always going to be their number one choice to, to talk to when they're going through stuff. I am uh, a male coach in a women's basketball environment, and I'm about 20 years older than anybody that we have on that team, uh, player-wise. So there's a big age gap. I'm a man. And it's different. So I've learned to accept and understand that I'm not always going to be the person that they want to talk to, but I'm always going to be the person that is going to ask them how they're doing and let them know that I'm there. So, and when you do that enough, when you make sure that they know that you got them at some point, they might feel more comfortable opening up. And some people just are not comfortable opening up. So it just depends on the relationship. Um, I have players that I'm really close with that we've had some deep conversations and, and it's easier with, uh, with those players. But for the other players that I haven't built that relationship with yet, the one thing that I can do to start it is to show vulnerability. It's to tell them what I'm going through. It's to bring them in and talk about my family. And when I talk about my family, I never say my wife, my kids, I'll use their first names. And I think that's a small thing, but at the same time, I'm bringing you into my family. I'm telling you their names. I'm telling you stories about them. And I'm telling you what I'm going through and what we are going through as a family. And I think at the end of the day, you can't force people to talk, but you can show them vulnerability. You can show them that there's an open door and there's an opportunity and you can be a good listener. So if at any point they want to talk, I'll be there to listen. 
and and that's really all I can control. So just trying to stay consistent with that, be open and vulnerable, and uh, and hopefully uh, I'll be able to be there for someone when they need it. I, I loved what you just said about showing your own vulnerability. I, I think that's that's a special thing. And I think that is truly how you we are able to relate to, relate to our players. And then using your family as an example, I, I think that's amazing. So really seriously, thank you for sharing that. Um, the other thing I wanted to hit on is let's kind of, I, I was just showing you before the episode, I just got the coach's guide to teaching. <clears throat> and we talk about different ways players learn. I think so much of coaching, and, and I've been on my soapbox about this, is auditory. But if you ask most people, nobody learns best auditorily. Almost everybody learns by seeing it or doing it. So kind of take us through, what are ways you've af- effectively taught things? And, and maybe what are things you've learned in your teaching process that, hey, they learn best by doing this, or I learn or I teach best by teaching this way? So learning from other coaches. So uh, I, I watch a lot of videos and, and what I like uh, from, uh, so Ryan Pannone, really good teacher of the game and had the fortune uh, to be able to talk to him on the phone. He's such an open book. What I noticed about him, and he said that on another podcast is that he will practice his timeouts. He will time himself. He will record himself in his office and he will play it back and see what it sounds like so he can do a better job. And I thought that was incredibly uh, cool. I think it's, it's one of the best ways that you can improve and be critical about how can I do better for my players because we can always do a better job. I know I don't always deliver my messages clearly, clearly as I would like to, especially with English being my second language. It's a little, sometimes it gets mixed up a little bit. So I can definitely improve on that. So when I heard him say that, it made me want to record myself and see how I deliver my my messages. So that's something I'm working on right now. But it's funny when you ask players, so how do you learn best? Do you do you like to watch film? Do you like to walk through the the plays? Do you like to draw it yourself? Do you like it when I show it to you? And a lot of the times, what they think they actually learn uh, through isn't actually what how they retain the information the best so what we like to do and um you know in skill development you always want to um explain demonstrate have them demonstrate and then fix whatever you need to fix and then repeat and so with with film when we're showing a scout or when we're showing some some kind of action that we want them to learn from uh, what we'll do in scouts is we'll have the video we'll have an animated uh, X's and O's diagram that moves around. We'll also have them draw it and I'll have them explain it to me and we then walk through it. So they're watching it in different ways. And so one of these ways must stick at some point, but we do a lot of it. And I don't expect them to, to know everything when we go through these things. That's why we keep going through it. And why don't you draw it out? Tell me what you see. And then we kind of we kind of work through that. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think people retain information in different ways. I think it's our job as coaches to present it in as many ways as we can, and then try to identify what is best for them. Some players just need to walk through things. So we'll walk down to the court and we'll walk through things. And so, um, we just need to, again, listen 
and try and figure out which is the best way for them to obtain uh, that information. And then we just keep moving from there. Uh, I, I really like that, that drawing piece too, because a lot of times you'll get the confirmation. Oh yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. But then, then you're, then you go out in the court and you're like, wait a minute, what just happened here? Right. We just, you know, um, or you go through a five on, oh, go through it on air, whatever, whatever it may be. So that's why I like. Yeah. You'd be amazed how many players don't know what the lines stand for. They don't know that a dotted line is a pass versus a squiggly line. That's a dribble and they don't understand. So, it's eye-opening and it's not their fault because we assume that they know we have this curse of knowledge where we think whatever we know, they know sometimes. And that's not the case. We have to ask the questions. We have to ask them to do it. And then we see what we need to fill the gaps in. Them. All right. So I want to go more into the, uh, the, the player development. Now um, you've coached at pretty much every level. Um, you know, you've been there, you've done that, you play professionally. If we're boiling it down to our core concepts, okay, at, at, at kind of all levels, what are our core concepts of player development? I am a big believer in skills over drills. I think we need to identify the skills we want to teach and then figure out which drills are closest to game situations and then go from there. I think a lot of coaches like to accumulate drills and drills that look cool. And sometimes I'll see, I'll see some, sometimes I'll see huge coaches run through drills that I see NBA trainers show on Twitter and the kid can't really dribble with his weak hand. And then he's supposed to go between the legs behind the back, split two defenders, 360 spin and fade away. And I don't understand why we do these things to these kids. I think teach the basic skills and then improve on those double down on what these, uh, kids really do well um, as they get older and then we move from there i just think there's so much fluff around the game i'm a big believer in basic footwork and i believe that you can really narrow footwork down to five things that's it five things you can do with your feet and then learn how to put combinations together and then you take your game from a finite game to an infinite game depending on your creativity so I really do think skills over drills and I start everything from footwork and, and I usually go from there. I may be very, very basic, but, but I think the more you grow with it, uh, the more your foundation is strong. And I know, I know a lot of coaches know this. the fundamentals are always going to be there. They're always going to work and they've worked for, for many years because they work. Um, and I think you lay those down first, you get the skill down, and then you can move on to whatever James Harden 17 step back drill you want to put in. All right. So you led us into that perfectly. Uh, <laughs> I think when we first started messaging, right, I, I talked to you about how I went back and, and your, your footwork playbook, right. And you just, you just talked about your five footwork fundamentals. So let's get into that a little bit, uh, you know, maybe uh, your, your five and then positionally, What's some must-haves for footwork? Sure. Uh, five footwork, five footwork things you can do with your feet. Oh wow, grammatically that was disastrous. <laughs> the five things I believe you can do with your feet, and that's offensively and defensively, are front pivot, back pivot, or reverse pivot, or inside pivot, whatever you want to call it. So front pivot, back pivot, drop step, and then a step through and a sweep. That's it. And I feel that you can 
uh, I can show many different ways to do the same stuff. So um, a step through, for example, uh, is when you take a step, you know, your feet go kind of sideways. I know this is pretty bad for anybody that watching that listens through audio only, but when your feet go one in front of the other, um, we usually do that. We call that an up and under, right? You front pivot and then you step through. That's your up and under. You do the same thing when you cut to the basket as a backdoor cut. So if you can train your step through through the up and under, your feet already know how to do that for the backdoor cut. So all you got to now look at are your length of step, your angles, and your balance. So those are three things that I always want to pay attention to when I teach footwork is understanding which angle you're trying to go in and then how long is your step? Can you beat your defender while remaining on balance? That's, that's basically, that's the basis of what I'm teaching. Again, it's very simple. It's very basic, but I've learned throughout the years that if you can get those five things down, the only thing that limits you is your imagination. And we have a player. Um, I did a clinic um, a few months back online where I showed NBA clips of Akeem Olajuwon, Michael Jordan in the post, Kobe Bryant, a lot of the game's great, uh, greatest players and how they do their different things. And I identified them as one of uh, combinations of those five things. And then just basic drills to drill those five things. And then we cut to one of our players from two years ago doing the same stuff. But all we worked on are those five things. And we just started putting combinations together and she's on another level. She's super creative. She's smart. She gets it. She's a sponge. But you're able to do the same things that Akeem Olajuwon does because he doesn't do anything that isn't one of those five things. And I always like to challenge players, go on YouTube, find me the craziest move, and I'll show you how it's one of those five things put together in a combination. So, so to me, this is, this is the same. The game is the same. The same thing happened. Same things happen. The only thing that changes is the situation. A front pivot on, on the three-point line to square up to the basket is a front pivot in the post. And uh, rip and go on the three-point line is rip and go on the baseline. It's exactly the same thing. So I think um, what, I, what I do is I teach it, start teaching it close to the basket. And then for guards, we keep moving it back out. Uh, and we're tying everything together. But I'm a big believer in trying to simplify things, not showing them 100 things and telling them that they're different. I'll show them five, six things. And show them a hundred ways to use them. Well, that's that's really interesting. I like that concept of having those five and just layering them, right? As you obviously get more advanced to you know the college level, the pro level, it's all just a now, now it's 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 a combination. All right, so let's go, let's go posts maybe and and I guess wings guards. Uh if you're gonna teach them, if we're going in the post and we're 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 teaching. Maybe right where you go, usually go one move and then a counter move, right? One footwork. What, what are we, what are we going with them? What are we going with our posts first? What, what are we teaching them? I'm guessing probably drop step. I'm guessing, and then and then up and under off of that, or or depending on the player. Yeah. So this there's a, a basic combination that I like to teach. Um, we'll do a, a we'll do a drop step into uh, two counters. So we'll start by drop stepping to the middle. Um, and then it will be a dribble to the middle, maybe two dribbles, and then drop step baseline. So you're basically doing the same footwork, drop step middle, drop step, drop step baseline. And the way I layer it is we go for, this, for the, next, um, the next part of that combination will be drop step middle, drop step middle, 
fake baseline front pivot and shoot. So now you're in front of the basket. And then the, the next part of that combination will be dribble middle, dribble middle, drop step baseline. I'm sorry, fake baseline, front pivot, step through. So you're kind of layering things together. That would be a, a very basic um, combination that I would put together for a post player that doesn't really have a face up game. So we'd start working on that. But the way I would teach those things, I wouldn't put it in day one. I would have them go. I use chairs a lot. So I put two chairs on the side, uh, on the on the lane, and I'll just have them run side to side, grab the chair, the ball off the chair and drops the baseline. Then run to the other side, grab it, drop step baseline. And what that does is it makes them drop step. On one side, they'll drop step with the right foot. And on the other side, they'll drop step with the left foot. And then I'll ask them the question. When I ask them to then drop step to the middle, they, they want to practice it. And there's no reason to practice it because if you drop step with your right foot here and your left foot there, if I ask you to turn and go middle, you've already done that. You've already done that on the other side. So the skills translate to all, to all sides of the floor, all places on the floor. It's just a matter of drilling down these specific, um, they're not even moves. They're just skills. They're just five things you can do with your feet. So, so yeah, I layer these things like we said, but I've, I'll start with the chairs. I'll always have them go side to side and do front pivots. They'll do back pivots. And then we'll start building combinations. We'll move the chairs in different places. Um, so, so it gets a little tedious at first, but as we start putting it together in different combinations and moving it out to the perimeter, if that's a guard, then they start getting the bigger picture and, and it's easier to then, um, putting different combinations. So before we move on, I wanted you to just summarize those, those five things again. So they, can you go from our listeners yeah. front pivot? What were the five front pivot, back pivot, drop step, step through. So that's your, the end of your up and under, and then a sweep or a rip. So a rip move is kind of like a sweep. You're sweeping the ball under, uh, across your body, like you're going to rip and go to the basket. So front pivot, back pivot, step through, um, sorry, front pivot, back pivot, drop step, and then your counters are step through and sweep. Perfect. And that's it. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, the, for our last question, before we move in our last segment, uh, this is just an interesting question. I, I, I would like to, for us to ask a, a few more of our guests this question. This was, this was something Todd thought of, which I really liked, which is for you, just the future of basketball. What are some trends do you think we're going to start seeing? What are some more of maybe concepts we're going to start seeing? Maybe some newer analytics we're going to start seeing. What are what are some things you're you you think the game's going to start moving towards? I'm not even going to pretend that I know which way the analytics is going to go. I'm just there for the ride, and I'm loving it. I uh, I'm a big believer in numbers. I am almost to a fault. I'll, I'll go with the numbers, uh, which is something I need to re-examine sometimes. But to answer your question, I think some, some really good trends and concepts uh, I see coming from Europe. Uh, and we see it all over. Uh, the five-out offense right now is very big. Um, basketball is moving in a direction where everything is positionless. Uh, Seven-footers now have skills, and guard, guards can now post up just like seven-footers. So I think the game is moving in a direction where it's a lot more open, and you have to be able to have a face-up game. Uh, but at the 
same time, I see other things where more traditional um, formations like a three out, two in are still thriving, uh, at least in Europe, because teams are using more and more of the short roll and they're teaching their bigs how to short roll to areas where the defense has to uh, help in and tag and rotate and then having those bigs make decisions. So I think the game is, is, is interesting in that sense. Something really cool that I've seen recently was um, I've seen the, the, the different spacing on the weak side, uh, the emphasis on cutting from the weak side, where to space out to. A lot of teams are now taking away the baseline drift pass. So we, we used to teach our players to sit in the corner if there's a baseline drive, sit in the corner because we want to – I remember – trying to teach players to, to jump out of bounds and hook that pass around to get to the opposite corner shot. But teams are picking up on this and the weak side tagger usually drops. So the angle isn't there and the ball can't see the shooter. So a lot of teams now teach that shooter to maybe hold for one second to see where that tagger goes and then come up. So your passing angle is a little bit more at a, an upward degree towards that part where the three-point line has a little bend in it. So... So it's, it's just interesting. I, I really enjoy the chess match and, and coaches trying to outsmart each other and manipulate the tag and, and do all those things. So I, I really enjoy spacing. I think that's where the trending, that's where it's trending right now, the concept of five out and how to move off the ball, when to cut, uh, how to utilize the short roll. I really enjoy that stuff. That's, that's the kind of stuff that I, uh, that I tend to hit the like button on Twitter for. So I just want to add a quick one in here before we've talked a lot about you and some of your stuff, but I wanted to give you a chance just to kind of, you know, hype up your program a little bit and, you know, you guys are getting ready to go here pretty soon and, uh, you know, just kind of what you're going to go going on with your program before we get into our last two segments. Absolutely. I love this program. I'm going into year four, working for one of the best, best people in the business. Uh, Coach Trina Patterson is an unbelievable person. She's treated me and the rest of our staff and our players uh, incredibly well. She's family oriented. She's family first. She's always asking me about my family and what's going on. So I love working for a person like that. Uh, it just adds so much more value to the position because, you know, it's really important to work for good people. And if you work for some people who aren't like that, you appreciate the ones who are. So um, I mean, I'm in a really good place, really good situation going into year four. And we have a very uh, exciting group of players. We have a lot of young players on the team this year, but so much talent. We were we were hit hard by COVID last year. We lost uh, a few players to injuries, to season-ending injuries, and uh, our season was going to look one way, and it looked a different way, but we finished strong. Our girls went through a lot of adversity, and we're carrying it over to this year, and we, we have um, high expectations. Uh, we're going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. We're going to run some funky stuff. Uh, and, and it's it's going to be fun, and I love working with this group. I have my six three center that is uh, is an absolute uh, stud, and you know I work with the post, so we got a really good group. We got some shooters, drivers, passers, exciting. So I'm really excited uh, to be on this staff to work with these players, and um, and yeah, we're 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 a fun we're a fun program to watch when you got that ESPN Plus pass. Must be rough for the post coach to work with that six three center. Must rough, uh, rough life you got there, coach. Life is hard. <laughs> She's got great hands and she can roll hard to the basket and she grabs every offensive rebound in the area. So, yeah. So she makes me look better than what I am. That's for sure. 
It's awesome. All right, so uh, going into our last two segments here. Uh, the first one is we call 30-second timeout. Your opportunity to discuss anything you want, whatever, whatever's on your mind, something that's important to you, um, you know, whatever you'd like to discuss. Uh, loose, very loose 30 seconds. You have, you have all the time you need. All right, I'm going to go fast here. So I've been asked a couple of times in the last week what advice I would have for young coaches. And what I would tell them is you have to network, uh, co-work, and then outwork. Okay, so you have to network to be in a position to get that phone call, to get that opportunity to get the job. And then when you get, when you get that job, you have to co-work. You have to be the best person you can be for your head coach. You have to be the best person on staff, the resource. Learn everything you can so that you can help. And then at the end of the day, you have to outwork. This is a job where you have a lot of talented people around and you have to always grow and get better. So you have to outwork people. And it's just something that you can't sleep on. So network, get that opportunity, co-work, be the person that you want to be, uh, that you want, that people would want on their staff and then outwork, keep growing and keep pushing and keep moving on. All right, so... This is our final segment, and this is maybe Todd and my favorite, but uh, we call it quick hitters. Um, so it's just quick hitting questions. Could be basketball related, and I, I can already tell you some of yours are not basketball related. Um, so we will start off with, for you, and, and you don't have to say ours, it's good. What is your favorite podcast to listen to? All right, so I listen to a lot of different ones, like I said. Um, for basketball, I mean, there's yours, of course, and you can edit that out if you want to, but there's there's hoop heads, slapping glasses, great basketball podcast. I think that's uh, Chris Oliver with uh, B-Ball Immersion, Quick Timeout. Um, so uh, so there's basketball ones, but I love true, uh, true crime. So I'll listen to uh, Let's Not Meet or uh, Sword and Scale and all these podcasts as well. Uh, yeah, we can we can have it'll be a much it'll be a media timeout if we have to go through all my podcasts. Todd, I'm just editing out everybody else. He said, "I'm just keeping yeah, ours." Yeah, and then just ours in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> creative, creative license, right? Oh boy. Uh, person you get called by the most, not in your family. Mm. I don't know. Nobody wants to call me out. I got this. I got this mean grin on my face, and I'm six four and two hundred twenty pounds. No one wants to call me out. I guess, but uh, in the past, it's been a, a friend of mine. His name is Steve Yang. He's um, he's this little my, my little Asian buddy who is like half my size, but he would call me out on all kinds of BS. If I would have an excuse for something, uh, he would call me out on it. And, and I appreciate that about him because we grow together. He was the director of operations at Georgetown and he wouldn't let me get away with any of that stuff. So I've learned to cut that out of my vocabulary and I hold myself more accountable to that. And I try and hold him accountable as well. So shout out to Steve Yang um, over at McNeese. You're the man. Well, we got our first Steve Yang reference ever on the show. There you go. Um, all right. So we got your, the strangest food you've ever eaten. I had an old roommate that I lived with when I was in New York many, many years ago who came back from Africa with a bag full of deep fried crickets. And that was delicious. That was absolutely delicious. Crunchy, sweet. I think it was teriyaki. Like they deep fried it and then they tossed it in teriyaki sauce. Delicious. So weird, but I would eat it again for sure. 
Yes, if you deep fry, it's deep fried, so it's got to be good, right? Deep fried anything, exactly. <laughs> uh, your your biggest pet peeve? I dislike people who are not passionate about what they're doing. Dislike might be a strong word, but I don't appreciate it when someone is taking a position or an opportunity from someone else who may have way more passion than they do. I think if you're going to do something, do it with passion, do it with integrity or step aside because someone else wants to do this job. And, um, and, you know, we just can't take up that spot. We got to, we got to approach everything with passion. That's an interesting one. I, now that you say that, I kind of don't like that either, but um, <laughs> all right. So you're 10 feet from the basket. How many shots are you making? 10 shots, 10 feet from the basket. How many are you making? Am I guarded or unguarded? Unguarded. Unguarded. In my prime, probably seven or eight. Are we using the glass? You can use the glass. Hey, you just got you just got to oh. put it in the basket. Cup. You just got to put it in. Oh no, I'm taking one dribble to the side and I'm going eight or eight of ten. Now okay. probably four or five, but back in the day, <laughs> seven or eight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a place you never got a chance to play, but wish you had. All time Madison Square Garden. Uh, but if I could choose a place anywhere to play again, it would be my the court right by my childhood home and the people that I played with. I'm very sentimental. So if I could do that, I will. That's... You gave me the two and I could do that. I'll do that. All right. Hold on. Then before we move on in the quick hitters. Okay. I want a quick story from your childhood court. You're playing with your buddies. You're playing with whoever you're playing with. Got one for you. What do we got? I got one for yourself. So 17. I finally discovered that I can jump over an iPad. So Got my hops. I was able to get up a little bit. And that court, we lived in a neighborhood where the mayor of that city lived at the other end of that neighborhood. Really nice home. Not where I grew up. I grew up in a not so nice home area. But that court was great. And, and um, realized I can jump. We're all warming up to play. It's Saturday afternoon, maybe 3, 3 p.m. People start pouring in. And I get up there and I grab the rim with two hands on a dunk. And the backboard snaps in the middle and I come down on my on my backside with the rim on top of me. like the whole thing came down the supporting beam started bending down and they all look at me and they're like great you ruined our weekend and so my mom was smart enough and said let's write a letter let's slide it under the mayor's door and see what will happen so wrote the letter asked them to replace the basket slid it under the door on the following Monday two days later I saw we saw all these crews over there putting up a new basket, new supporting beams and everything, and it was ready for next week. So I ruined everyone Saturday, but then I made the next one. So that's that's the old court. There you go. All right. So if, if not coaching basketball, so you're not coaching, you can do any other job in the world, what would you do? If someone wanted to pay me to do that, I would travel the world. I would love to travel, keep a vlog or keep some kind of record of it. And I'd love to travel. I'd love to do that with my family. Um, love traveling. But if nobody wants to pay me for that, that's fine. I'll just I'll just go and do my podcast. I really enjoy doing that. I love that medium. I love learning from people and talking to people. And I've made some really good connections through that um, venture. So, so, yeah, it would probably be either podcast or travel the world. Coach, we, we can't thank you enough for, for joining us. I mean, there's there's so much good good stuff there from, from basketball to just to just life in general. Uh, you know, I encourage all of our listeners, uh, 
to, to follow you. Um, you know, we, we retreat a lot of your stuff. Um, you know, we'll, we'll put all your information out there so they can, they can get at it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll send out the coach tube link and all that for all, for all your awesome stuff that, and content you have out there. Um, so we really, we appreciate and thank you. That can't thank you enough uh, for joining us tonight. Thank you guys so much. I, I love that. This was a lot of fun. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to share uh, and talk to you guys. And, and I'm glad we got a chance to get this going. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Time Out or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Time Out. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.